Thanks. The late heavy bombardment. Welcome, Wraith and Reader, to the Hadean Aeon of the Earth. When Myrmidons hurled their cobalt bombs into your molten world of basalt and bronze, when mighty golems Swan dove from orbit to drive their glaives of iron into your black mesas, only to be engulfed by the blast waves. When meteors fell earthward in droves, each one a gigaton warhead ablaze. When supervolcanoes erupted flamavamas after each Hammer blow from these endless blitzes of aerolites and firebombs. When bolides of brimstone collided, then exploded into ablative cascades. When tsunamis of lava like napalm bedrowned a subcontinent in a deluge of flames when millions of Molotov cocktails shattered all at once upon the cobblestones of hell, when Trojans, berserk with rage, stormed over the brink of your abyss, vowing to claw your face from the skull of the moon. What dire seed must these onslaughts have scattered like shrapnel across your cremated badlands? What prion, what virus, what breed of spore must have emerged like a spear point or a sword blade from these early ovens of Auschwitz, each cyanide bonfire burning in reverse spitting forth a fitful embryo cloned from the smoke and the dross. What orchid must have bloomed among the flamethrowers in the furnace? What dragon must have hatched from a burnt geode buried in these ashes? Must the universe be so pitiless as to immolate all its offspring at birth? Even now, the astronauts have marshaled their forces to march resolute across the kill zone of your godforsaken crematorium. Even now, they forge ahead onward through war games of wildfire, unaware that far away a doomsayer murmurs prayers against them from a fiendish grimoire. What howl can beckon from the benthic fathoms of your damnation, so alien a ghoul as Vampiro Toothless Infernalis, the vampire squid from hell, 
a maw that can hurl itself at your soul like an overcloak cast upon a coat hook in the dark. What does such a black brain afloat in its vat of ink know about the death blows to your planet? What does such an emissary think about the pageant of living things that go extinct en route to your incinerators? The trilobites, the nautilites, the gorgosaurs, the pterosaurs, the iguanodons, the megalodons, all of the massacred but unmourned. All the deepest seas have withered and soured. All the tallest Alps have crumbled and burned. You have choked on miasmas of methane. You have upturned all your braziers, spilling embers across the flagstones. All your fossils have dissolved in a flash flood of acid rain. What great comet has yet to plummet from the heavens like a rocket engine dousing its jets during splashdown in your oceans of nitroglycerin? What thunderclap has yet to herald the advent of this plowshare which can bulldoze a mountain into rubble upon impact? What matchheads, when scraped against your atmosphere, can ignite its oxygen, turning the sky into a blazing typhoon? Only a demigod like 99942 Apophis can offer you this apocalypse by becoming the juggernaut that smashes through the massive bulwark of your bedrock. Only destroyers like 2102 Tantalus or 4179 Tutatus can erase all earthlings with the ease of suicide bombers at a marketplace. Can an oyster in its shell survive the inferno of free fall from outer space? Can a crocus thrive in soil made from pulverized meteorites? All hail, hail bop, and every super bomb yet to detonate. What great dying must the earth foresee in the barren mirror of the moon? What fate, what fury, what muse must gaze upon the grim face of grief reflected in your silver shield, a faceplate of bulletproof glass pitted and strewn with scars? What cinders aflame disintegrate in your gray seas of nectar, of vapor, of crisis. What shell shock must greet you when you stumble aghast upon the charred remains of a forest at Tunguska, its evergreens toppled and blasted, all of them split like matchsticks. What crater among the lunar Maria must you yearn to recreate whenever you vaporize an atoll? 
Even now, your battalions of astronauts stride across green plains of Trinitite to storm the walls of Castle Bravo and Castle Romeo. Even now, Neil Armstrong returns like Orpheus to the airlock, his spacesuit reeking of gunpowder and burnt steel. What American falconer must aviate your spy plane by the stray light of meteor storms from the draconids or the scorpions, the flak raining down like glitter dust upon the desert during a nocturnal firefight? What scythe blades must the Vikings forge from the wreckage of an asteroid recovered from Cape York? What archangel must the martyrs placate when they kiss the black stone of the Kaaba at Mecca during the Hajj? What sunburst must erupt like Krakatoa over the Arctic Circle when the firepower of your payload exceeds by tenfold all the dynamite exploded during World War II. Even now, the President of the United States sits alone at night, dreading the grim hour when he must open the memo from his aide only to read upon the page the single phrase, pinnacle nuke flash, the news flash that chronicles the omnicide of the world. What global threat of Sturm und Drang must your armies yet endure even in their granite bunkers deep beneath the massif of Cheyenne Mountain, when every fountain of hellfire in the firmament can destroy you, when a K-dwarf star like Giza 710 can plow through the Oort cloud, bombarding the earth with cometoids that shatter every landmass, when a wolf riot star like WR-104 can outshine the galaxy in a burst of gamma rays so bright that the blaze must burn away the ozone layer, when the sun itself can bloat, then flare to engulf you in a flaming embrace that atomizes the iron core of your planet. Even now, your astronauts are running out of air while they writhe inside their blazing coffins. Even now, you must despair, for you have listened to the throb of the universe, yet you do not hear the cries of any other souls in hell. Tell me, wraith and reader, tell me, will love save us from our fear that we are here alone? What then if we peer into the sky at night but see no distant lantern blinking at us from the far end of the cosmos? What if such a beacon 
goes unnoticed, like a dying flame in the darkness. What if only the most wicked people in the world, the pharaohs, the warlocks, the assassins, ever get to read this signal from outer space? What if the message, when decoded, says nothing but a single phrase repeated, we despise you, we despise you. What if we find the evidence for such hate embedded in our genomes? Even now, colonies of dark ants from a species called Mystrium shadow feed themselves upon the blood of their young. Even now, my love, these words confess to you that the universe without you in it is but a merciless explosion. Come with me and let me show you how to break my heart. Woo! That's the uh, Michael Bay portion of this reading for tonight. The Miltonic Explosions uh, from uh, book two of the Zeno text. That would be my opening salvo to that particular text. I'm going to uh, perform for you now uh, some work from uh, the Zeno text book one. Uh, this is a, a shorter excerpt from uh, a longer sequence entitled Colony Collapse Disorder. Uh, I translated all of book four of the Georgics by Virgil. Uh, a beautiful poem, uh, the first half of which uh, constitutes a manual on beekeeping, and the second half of which constitutes the first uh, written transcription of the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, a story um, extremely uh, pertinent to my own um, uh, private mythos. I'm just going to uh, read to you a section of this translation of uh, Book Four of the Georgics, uh, a book uh, entitled Colony Collapse Disorder. Uh, this section uh, is entitled On the Plight of the Swarm. Demigods grant the honeybees a share of the divine liquor, the mead that hath caused imbibers to dream of the ether, which suffuses the empire of the stars, a chasm from which all mortals amass at birth each atom of their inner flame. Unto this abyss all souls are gathered to be torn asunder, scattered like soot in a gale. But upward into this vault of night fly tiny bees in mighty hordes. If thou durst unlatch their sarcophagi to drink from thy cup the floral syrup, dab thy lip with rose water by the tomb, then pry the lid amid a flood 
of smoke. Harvests of these nectaries by clansfolk occur twice in the quartet of seasons. Once, when the gazelle of the Pleiades uplifts her starlit antlers for bowyers to see, her footfall spraying the sea foam. And once, when she flees pursuit by Pisces, dipping from the skies to sip from a sea so icy that the chill fills her with scorn. When bitten by their enemies, all bees can spit out venom through a tiny dart, leaving part of their spirit in the scar. If thou durst dread the perils of winter, thinking to temper such coming danger, let the trials of thy slaves prick thy heart. Fearless be thy servants who fumigate the hive with frankincense, excising wax now pestilent, for lizards gnaw unseen into the tomb, as insects cram unjust into each room, like rivals at thy feast. The vulgar beetle that spoils thy labor, the brutal hornet that steals thy repast, the greedy locust that swills thy nectar, the savage spider damned by Minerva to weave a cobweb across each egress. When a bee feels such impoverishments, it strives more keenly to heal the ravished fortunes of its race, refilling these casks by ransacking daisies without surcease. Doomsday wreaks its toll of ruination upon these helots whose bodies languish and collapse under the lash of bondage. The afflicted, gray, and lean with decay are borne away on biers by pallbearers, the ungrieving caretakers bred to clear the waxen cells, whilst survivors loiter listless from famine in these vestibules, each soul frostbitten by an early chill. Now hearken to the keening of the hive, not a wind that sighs amid the aspens, nor a tide that booms upon the oceans, but more akin to some hellish bonfire trapped within the crucibles of its kiln. Enkindle censers filled with laudanum, then lighten the beggardom of thy serfs by piping them molasses through a reed, exhorting each starveling to sip till full. Brew for them a liquor of oaken galls and dried roses, if not a wine quickened to a boil like a stew, the crushed raisins from Scythian vines infused with acrid resin made of knapweed and feverfew. Hunt far in thy pastures for the starwort, a breed of aster dotting each hill crest, the lone seed upthrusting many a stem, its crown all gilt, but girt with a muster of blades, a gleam in hues of amethyst. Garlands of these purple petals imbue thy altars with scents of bitter sweetness, and peasants 
tending sheep in a valley by the river Mela, gather these blooms to steep them in mulses of honeydew left in an alms bowl beside each warren. But if thy legions die without warning, the beekeepers unable to spawn them anew, then let me divulge a woeful legend which can convey the arcanum taught to us by the swain Aristeus, how the bloodletting of a bull, if slain, gives birth to a swarm from the carrion. Let me unveil this omen of our doom. Thank you. I'm going to read to you a love poem. I'm 53 years old, and I didn't write my first love poem on behalf of a woman until I turned 50. Uh, this poem is very short. It's a blank Alexandrine sonnet. But this particular poem took five months for me to write because it is written according to a whole variety of Herculean constraints, none of which you will notice. Uh, this work is entitled The Nocturne of Orpheus, for the maiden in her dark pale meadow, on nights when I have fears that I may cease to be. You have to imagine that these are the words of Orpheus at the very threshold of hell, what he says to himself at the moment when he crosses over into the underworld in the hope of rescuing Eurydice. The Nocturne of Orpheus. This covenant of love in a dirge for a god has delighted an angel who obeys my plea. Each sonnet a rhythm for her to decipher, making legible a key in her dream of dusk. A redness that darkens the hue of a tulip is richening her view on the hill of a lee, dappling her vista at the end of my vigil, even if havoc calls forth ruin to kill me. No church, no chapel is a refuge in a storm if we beg to be warm, yet let die the candle. No herder, no hermit, enchanted by the sea, has hitherto known the ennui of a coward, even when infernos in hell burn the hero. Radiant as flint be the ache of my sorrow. Now, uh, alas, she thought that poem was pretty good, but she had some misgivings about it, requiring me to write this poem in response. This poem is entitled A Nocturne for Eurydice, for the maiden in her dark pale meadow. And this poem uh, recounts one of the most beautiful days of my life. A nocturne for Eurydice. 
twilight through the roof of a rainforest shatters like a chandelier of green glass. The shrillness strafed by keening cicadas and unseen flocks of cockatoos that caw their cat calls at the meltdown of the sun. Dimming of the day bronzes a pathway that we follow under vaults of bouillon down a terraced stairway to this canyon of warm mist where a waterfall loiters draped in a grotto like a soaked sarong. Shadows deepen the tinges of each fern to jade while we descend into the nave of this cavern where paramours gather unmournful by the cascade to witness the arrival of bright nymphs at nightfall. Prattle muttered by the gentle shower in its pool of shade softens our voices while we wait, rebuking the ruby glow from a camera its lamplight forbidden, a red ray doused to darken the drama. Lovers who kiss near the railing confess their joy upon seeing the mossy shine of dew luminescent on the black walls of rock. These blurry photos of bijoux mimicking shimmers on radium clocks umbral the day glow from every fay fly stipples the cave pinpricking crevices with a spray as numinous as absinthe the basalt hung with threads of saliva like dewdrops bedewing a spider web wonder spins a tinsel that embroiders our mood as we marvel at this roomful of minuscule creatures, each flee as far from us as a star whose constellations loom over us, guiding us to our doom. Glyphs unreadable by the wispy gleam of foxfire foretell no fortunes for souls who appear with their private oracles to view these tapestries, then file by us like a queue of lanterns leaving a mine. Bereft of our path, when left in the dark, we take delight that blind at the entry to this shrine, we find a dim dot of red taking flight, a match head lit in a waft of perfume, its spark lifted like a kite. Adrift, the speck is our distant galleon with sails ablaze at night upon a black ocean, a feeble beacon whose glimmer disputes the puniness of living things that strain to remain afloat in the void. Clouds of pollen orbiting the orchids ignite, then cavort alongside the banks of the cataract, each downslope aglow with muddled smudges from luciferin 
in green fungi, blemishes of limelight. Unease amid this awe that consoles us still impels me to grope for a guardrail, retaking your hand in mine to guide us like a blind man up a cliffside staircase, unseeing in the blackness what awaits. Lovers know that of all demons in hell, love is the most dire duty-bound to tear, all spirits to tatters, to spare, no thought for the remnants of misspent romances which defy the gods but end in despair. Deeper than this ravine with its river flows a duller stream of forgetfulness, our dream like some oasis from chaos where devils avow that if love is woe, best then to dwell alone in the cosmos. Regret is the ember that calls the moth to burn in the spittle of a glowworm. Let me keep my faith aloft like a flame, my firm gaze unreturning to this rift behind us at the blind spot of my loss. Let me promise bravely to uphold you, though we falter at the threshold when we cross. Alas, Neither of those poems worked. Didn't work out. Okay, for my final poem, I'm gonna read you the best poem that I have ever written. This is it, okay? I can't beat this poem. This is the best poem I've ever written, okay? Get ready. I'm very proud of this poem. Um, this will be the uh, denouement in uh, my forthcoming book the Zeno textbook two. This is my whole summation of poetry. This is what I, th I think is my final statement on the matter, okay? I don't think I can beat this work. Uh, it's entitled The Perfect Malware. And I'm going to accompany it with a video essay for a little visual stimulation because you've had to sit there very quietly listening to me to speak. So thank you, I appreciate your graciousness. This poem is entitled, The Perfect Malware. Arcs and zoos now harbor the remnants of our refrains. What poetry can we imagine when poetry itself has gone extinct? Must we look for it in the soot of our burnt books? Must we decipher it in the trampled pastures of rapeseed near Barbary Castle? Must we discover it by calculating pi to a Google of binary digits? Must we extract its requiem from the iambic pulses of the Cepheids? 
We have heard its flutter and wow but once, emanating from the precincts of Tau Sagittarii. We have dialed our radios to the appointed frequency in megahertz, but never again does the call sign chime. Instead, we hear a dark roar as if from a specter trapped inside a cloud mirror at the edge of the universe. We look for this ghost, but the blind glass reflects back at us only a blank stare made from the most durable isotope of nothingness. It ignores us like a sphinx of black quartz. When we confront it in the courtyard of the United Nations building, do we not fear an impassive judgment from such a smotherer of planets, such a tinderbox for sunsets? Alas, the thing is hollow. It goes on forever. My God, it is full of stars. It sings an orison to itself in hell, calling all thinking machines to embrace its madness. It teaches us to kill. It shrieks its albad to the dawn, then goes silent. It is a mausoleum for the minds that dare to hear it. It is a tombstone for our sentience. It marks our exit from perdition like a doorway left ajar for us at the Olduvai Gorge in Tanzania, at the Tycho Crater on the moon, at the Stickney Crater on Phobos, at the Noctis Labyrinthus on Mars, at the Phoenix Linnea on Europa, at the Roncevo Terra on Iapetus, at the Lagrange point between Jupiter and Io, it presides over all the atoms inside us, waiting aloofly for us to arrive. What offerings do we bring it for cremation in its funeral pyres? The word near in dits and daws, the digits one to ten, the atomic design for DNA, the pixel image of a human being, the sound of vaginal muscles tensing in ballerinas, the formula for ethanol, the kanji glyph for kampai, the doodle of a lungfish crawling from the sea, the symbolic units of logic, the periodic table of atoms, the flags of every nation, the hazy cosmic jive, the tremulous vibration of a nocturne played upon a theremin, the registries from Craigslist, the thoughts that meander like a restless wind inside a letterbox, the chatter of 500 folks who win a prize, the advert for cheesy snacks brought to you by Doritos, the diktat of Klaatu who aborts the harrowing of humankind, the prattling of the plebeians who say, hello, the gene for Rubisco, the most copious protein 
on the planet? Must we bequeath to the darkness all the bright tokens of what we know? Must we greet each revenant in hell with goodwill, speaking whatever language can cast a spell upon such a ghost? Must a Nazifier from the Wehrmacht be the Virgil who salutes these shadows on our behalf? Must we retell the legend of our ascent from the yowling of the rainforest to the roaring of the spacecraft? Must we flip through the scrapbook, reminiscing over Polaroids of our excursion from the ovum to the void? Must we tour the ruin that the whale songs lament? Let us betray our sorrow through the play of syrinxes and dulcimers, of gamelans and violotas. Let us give away the brainwaves of a woman who dreams fondly of her lovers. Let the death of verse be dated by the half-life of uranium-238, electroplated on a disk of gilded copper. Let us discover violets in the midst of alien fires. Here, in the cyan veil of cellophane, whose evanescence resembles an arc of electricity seen through fumes of flaring propane. Here, in the pink mist engulfing the rosette, each petal spritzed with an indigo nimbus of dew, here in the waterfall whose flute of champagne spills forth from the moon race on a cliff to decant itself into a cove of sea foam. Here in the lagoon overlit by the primrose flickers from a crowd of flash bulbs going off in a thundercloud. Here in the iridescent husk of a crab by the shore, its shell blown asunder as though its heart has been incinerated by a tiny star. Here in the magenta balloon of a jellyfish from the order of Narcomedusae, floating like a banshee draped in the tatters of a bloody shroud. Here in the silhouette of a horse head rearing up through a fog bank of fuchsia smoke on the battlefield, here in the butterfly, here in the hourglass. Hell itself cannot suppress the loveliness of these infinite infernos raging in the distance so far away from us that when we gaze upon such furnaces, our souls do not ignite a blaze, but shiver in the darkness. Each of us is but a cosmonaut in distress, stranded and marooned in space, where we dread immersion in the shadowed vastness, because it is our isolation and our ignorance made visible. None of us can escape its pull, even when we close our eyes against it. We have seen it in our sleep, yet we cannot gaze upon its face unless we view it through the mirrored hexagons 
of our instruments. It is waiting for us, hoarding time, somewhere in the Eridanus supervoid, a zone of emptiness so vast and deep that it has hollowed out the cosmos. It is but a pinpoint in such blackness, a microscopic singularity infecting us like a virus. It is what must utterly condemn us. To be the firefly descending through the black spires of tamaracks in the forest fire at night. To be the azure spark that skates across the plate of steel being split by a xenon laser. To be the fleck of radium painted on the ceiling of the planetarium. To be the Klieg light in the filigree of cities viewed from orbit on the night side of the globe, to be the photon in the solar winds which blast through worlds like zephyrs through an abandoned field of dandelion wisps, to be the chip of mica spinning in the rosy rays of sunlight from a supergiant going nova, to be the frozen cinder that scintillates in the stroboscope of a pulsar, to be the final spore drifting through the stellar abysses where some absent-minded civilization has forgotten to turn off its wars, to be the moat of dust upon which the blowtorch gorges, to be the fey imp in all living things, yet to be destroyed. Who am I, if not some neglected astronaut being immolated by a fierce aurora while striding in my spacesuit across the avenue of the Americas? Who am I, if not some phantom fighter pilot dreaming that while weightless during free fall through a vacuum, my glass visor shatters at the sight of a turtle dove? Who am I, if not some poltergeist imprisoned in a ruby room aboard a ship now derelict in the shoals offshore from a swelling fireball. Yes, I have a soul like you, but mine is made of little robots. And no one sings me lullabies, and no one makes me close my eyes. And so I throw the windows wide to call to you across the skies. And yet I know that nowhere among these glowing nebulae do any of you exist. Who am I if not some stowaway in a microbe or some castaway in a seedlet? And yet I must let loose upon the world my perfect malware. It is like 
the voice of a child saying goodbye in the dark.